Hey, thanks for checking out this message from LifeGate Church. We hope that God uses this message to encourage you and to help you live in the freedom and purpose that Jesus has for your life. Thank you, uh, Jackie. Thank you, Hannah. We look forward to hearing the testimonies, Hannah, of all that God does through you. Amen. Looking forward to the testimonies. G'day, everyone, those online. It's a privilege to have you guys with us. Thank you for joining. We're in our last week of 1 Thessalonians. Wow. We started this in February. And what month were you? <laughs> but we got there. We, we got there. Are you ready for the word? Let's pray. Let's go. Father, thank you for this day, for this moment in time. God, we're not here by accident. You've placed us here to hear this message for this time. God, we believe you're going to speak to us today. You're going to transform our hearts. You're going to transform our minds. And that, we, and that we are going to become more and more like Jesus. So, Father, open us to hear from you. Give me all that I need to present this clearly as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I was taken to church from, from the age of five. And I've pretty much been to church every Sunday for the last 39 years. We missed a few weeks. But generally, I'm at church every week. And, um, and, and growing up in church, I think, as a young kid, you just perceive things and you think everything's normal because that's how churches function. But as you get older and you get some maturity, you start to see things a little bit differently. You go, hmm, not so sure about that. Oh, that was really good. I've um, been to three churches in my whole life. This is the third one I've been to. But, but the first two were really one church. It was like we have with Padstow and Preston's. It was like um, one church in three locations. So I've only really been part of two churches, and this is the second church. I'm a committed stayer in a church, yeah? And as I look back at my early experience in church life, I see things that were healthy and see things now as I look back that were unhealthy in church. When I think about the health, I think about how um, I was given an opportunity as a 12-year-old kid to play piano in church. And I've been playing in music in church for the last 32 years. It's a long time, isn't it? Um, I think of the Sunday school teachers that were big on teaching the Word of God and teaching us that this is God's Word to us and you can believe it as that. And that's something that we can hold on to. I remember a lady who invested in my life and took me to um, another one of the campuses, if you like, within the one church where there were people my age and got me connected in with a bunch of teenagers and young adults, which was a huge blessing. I remember being accepted in that community, and I remember a time when my dad lost his job. Um, one of the family members put $200 in our, in our letterbox as a way of supporting our family. Now, that was back in 1990-something, so that's 200 bucks was a lot of money back then. And they were good things that I, I remember the uh, church that I was a part of did. That's a, that's a healthy stuff. But there's also lots of unhealthy stuff as I look back. I remember a, a, a congregational meeting where the, we don't do congregational meetings, maybe this is part of the reason, it's because of my, <laughs> part of my poor experiences with congregational meetings, is that there was a meeting and the church was voting on an important topic. And in this meeting, there were people in the room that I'd never seen before. And I'd been part of that church 15 years. There must have been members who'd come 20 years ago, still on the books, and someone wanted to stack the vote. So they got these people there to vote on something. Like, oh, that's horrible. Shocking. Terrible. Never forgotten it. Um, I remember people leaving our church because the denomination that we're a part of decided they were okay with same-sex couples, as in they, was, they, were, they didn't see um, homosexuality as a sin. They didn't see it like that. 
and we had a number of people leave our church as a result of that. Um, as I look at this church, another area of unhealth, there was a lack of unwillingness to change. There was um, backdoor gossiping conversations, another area of unhealth. And, I, and as a result of these things, the church sort of continued to decrease in size and got smaller and smaller and smaller. And it became about survival rather than mission. Another characteristic of a unhealthy church. Today I want to talk to you around the topic of, it's up there, healthy church. And in our next bit of Thessalonians, in our last section, Paul talks around three things, three characteristics of a healthy church. Now there's lots and lots of characteristics of a healthy church, but in this, in this passage he just talks about three. So these are, the, these are the three we're going to look at together. So I'm going to read the text, and then we're going to um, look at these three things. Of it. What does it mean to be a healthy church? Because it's God's design, that it's God's will that churches are healthy. And the thing about health is that healthy things grow. And God's church is supposed to be growing. It's an organism. It's supposed to grow. How does it grow? Well, as individuals we grow. We become more and more like Christ. We become more loving. We love God more. We, our character changes from what it was to look more and more the way that God wants us to look. We grow. And as we grow, we become more Christ-like. We get passionate about the things that God is passionate about. And then we present that to others and they catch it. And they get passionate about what we're about. And we share our faith and people get saved and people believe. And a healthy church disciples other people. And that church grows numerically. Because that is the natural thing that happens when you have a healthy community of believers, they multiply themselves. And that's what we see in the early church. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. There are many characteristics of a healthy church, and healthy churches grow. And I want us as a church to be a healthy church. And as we look at these things today, I want you to be challenged by these things. And I want you to ask yourself the question, am I, am I being this, this type of person? Am I doing the things in order to create health? At LifeGate Church. So today our text, we're going to read from 1 Thessalonians. And, um, and in this text, in this passage, it tells us three things. First thing is this. It tells us three things about a healthy church. It talks about your attitude towards your leaders. The second thing it talks about is your behavior toward each other. And the third thing this talks about is God's work in us. They're the three things we're about to read in this text. Here it is. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 12. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. That's talking about how you treat your leaders. Verse 13. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Then he goes on to talk about how to treat others. Live in peace with each other. As we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and, and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strives to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is 
God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Amen? Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all of God's people with a holy kiss. There might be some kissing going on after church today. Notice the word holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. And the last verse in verse 28, last verse of 1 Thessalonians, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. So as I said, there's three things in this text. The first thing we're going to look at is your attitude toward your leaders. Now, let's just talk about the elephant in the room right now. I'm going to be talking about how you should treat me. (laughs) Now, I haven't done this in 15 years, and maybe rightly so, because it's a bit weird about how should the congregation treat their leader. And it's not just about the pastor. This is your life group leader, your youth pastor, your kids leader, wherever the leadership role is. Paul writes to us around how we should treat our leaders. And, and, and one of the beauties of preaching exegetically, meaning going through a passage of the Bible and pulling out what it says, is that you have to preach on stuff that you don't normally preach on. And I don't normally preach, I've never preached on how the church should treat their leader. But today you're going to get it. Why? Because Paul says it. Okay? So that, that gives me permission. All right? And you might be a bit shocked by what he says. Here we go. This is what Paul writes to his church. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who, who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. He writes, hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Now, before he talks about how you should treat them, the first thing he does is, is that he talks about what a leader should be doing. What should a leader or a pastor be doing? Number one, they should be working hard among you. They should be working hard among you. The second thing is that they should be caring for you. Now, the NIV doesn't translate that very well. It went to some commentaries, and it actually says, um, it says, acknowledge those who, who work hard among you, and acknowledge those who, in the Greek, who rule over you. It doesn't actually say care for you in the Greek. It says rule over you. And, that's, and, there, and there's this idea that pastors have an authority over the people they lead. And the last thing he says is, and acknowledge those who admonish you. Admonish, in, is, in Greek, is the word to put something into, sorry, to put something in one's mind. That's what it means. So simply, it's about teaching. So for those who teach you, who care for you, rule over you, those who work out among you, how are you to treat them? Well, the first thing Paul says is acknowledge. Now, that word acknowledge in the Greek is around respect, is respect them, honor them, treat them well. And then in verse 13, he says this, which is a super strong statement, Hold them in the highest regard in love because of, the, because of their work. And again, I checked the commentary. What does it mean to hold the, the, your leader, your life group leader, your kids leader, your pastor? What does that mean to hold them in the highest regard? And in Greek, it, it means this. It's, it's to hold them. It's the highest form of comparison, of comparison possible. That's what the Greek means there, to hold them in the highest regard. So you are to respect your leaders above those other people that you respect in the church community. Is that okay to say? 
That's what the scripture says. Thank you, Nikki, for that. Gives me a bit of, bit, bit, bit of um, encouragement. Now, reassurance, that's a good word. Now, now, as you hear this, you might go, well, that's easy. Nathan's awesome. <laughs> or, you might go, or you might go, oh, dear, how am I supposed to do that? Nathan is a buffet. Do you know Nathan? Do you know how many times he hurt me? You know when he did that? I know all these types of things. Yeah, I remember all the things that Nathan did. But you know what? Whatever your view, whatever your pastor has done, the scripture says that you should honor them anyway. Honor them and respect them anyway because the Lord has put them in their position. And we should treat them in that. And there's actually benefits for you to, there's actually benefits for you to honor your leader. Let me give you some of these benefits. Why honor your leader? Well, let me give you the first one. Because it actually benefits you. Let me tell you why. You receive from those you honor. I'll say that again. You receive from those you respect. You receive from those who you say, wow, what does that person think? And as you respect people, you are more open to their thoughts, to their, um, their, ide- their ideology, to what they say. And so it actually benefits you because if you, if you disrespect, if you're not interested in what your pastor's saying or your leader's saying, well, you're not going to grow, you're not going to be influenced, and you're sitting there and it's a waste of time. You might have nice friends here. That's nice. But, but you're not going to be learning, you're not going to be growing. So one of the first benefits of honoring your leader is that you actually receive from your leader. And if you honor and respect me, you will learn, hopefully from me. You'll be encouraged and you'll be challenged by me to live in a way that honors him. The second thing is that it benefits the church. You know, when a, when a leader is honored, rather than people continuing to bang their head against the pastor and make complaints all the time. Now, I'm not talking about you're concerned about something and you have a serious conversation with me. That's totally fine. I get that. But when people continue to bag me out, put me down, complain, 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 man, it's hard work. And you know what it does? It takes my focus on that person and on their issues rather than on what the mission of the church is. It gets me off track because I'm trying to deal with this person and the difficulty of this person. And there's over 300 people that are part of our community that I need to invest in as well. So why honor your leaders? It actually benefits the church. And the, and the last thing is this. Why honor your leaders? Because it benefits the pastor. You know, pastors are normal people. Some people think pastors are super, supermen or super, super women or these people that have their Christian life all together. We don't. I'm just like you. Just call. Wow. Is that surprising? Is it, Christy? Christy, am I really? Yes, Christy, I'm really like you. I know it's hard to believe. Um, I'm, I'm normal like you, and, but the difference is I've been called to this role, and you haven't. That's the only difference. I'm on a journey with the Lord just like you. And when you honor me, when you respect me, you know what it does? It gives me confidence. Now, I, I should have all my identity in Jesus. I should, but I'm a work in progress. And when you speak life and when you encourage and when you respect me, you know what, I, you know, I, I go, wow, I'm doing Okay. And because I'm doing okay, you know what I then do? I then dream bigger. I then take, out, I then take more steps of faith. I take, I'm more likely to take a risk because if I get it wrong, my people aren't going to smack me down, but they're going to say, we had to go, it's okay, go again. The benefits of respecting your leaders. Respect them for your benefit, for the benefit of the church, and for the benefit of your leader. Nikki just said, for those online, and God tells us to, there's a really good reason. You know, I've, um, 
I serve a leader. As you know, and um, Jackie runs our mission, we are heavily involved in Transform Cambodia um, as a community, and I've been given the responsibility of overseeing the worship. What that means is I have seven staff that I oversee, and that seven staff oversee more leaders who oversee 500 musicians in Transform Cambodia. So it's a pretty big gig, and, and what that means is that I am under Mark Patterson, who's the CEO and the boss of Transform. He started it. He's a wonderful man. I love him. And as I was writing this message, I thought, well, what is it like for me to sit under a leader, trying to put myself in your shoes, which is a really good thing to do, eh? What's it like being under a leader? Number one is, I'm talking about transform now, being under Mark Patterson. I don't have to carry the responsibility and the, and the weight of the ministry. You know, as the leader, you have all the legal all the legal obligations and authority and the accountability there, as well as God's called you to something and he asks you to see it done. And if you're the leader, you carry the weight of that. But if you're not the leader, you don't carry the weight of that. You, you, don't, you don't carry the weight of the ministry. As someone who's under Mark Patterson, I don't need to set the direction because God speaks to leaders about the organization, about the direction. He speaks and it's up to the leader to see that vision fulfilled. And my job is to say, hey, Mark, where are we going? Where do you want me to go? I will do that. It's a really beautiful picture. One of, the, one of the things Mark said about me is a compliment he gave me. He said, Nathan, when people come to Cambodia, lots of people try and um, tell us how we should think we should do it better and, and, and try and do it their way. And, and he says, those people don't last very long because they haven't been given the vision from God. I've been given the vision from God. And he says, Nathan, one of the things with you, talking about me, he said, you don't try and take it in, 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 in your way. You seek from me the way you want it to go, and then you get on and see that vision fulfilled and that strategy fulfilled. That's a compliment. That's a beautiful thing. You know, the thing about serving a leader with a vision is that it's a privilege. I can see God doing something, and I say, I want to be part of what God is doing. I love seeing Mark Patterson thriving, and, and, and one of the things I can do to help him thrive as the leader of the ministry is to do the thing that I've been given responsibility for really well. Lead those leaders well. See the ministry thriving in the area of music so that that's one less thing he needs to be concerned about and thinking about. I take the load off him by carrying this ministry. And you know what? As I think about Mark Patterson, I have some incredible people who are part of this church who treat me like I treat Mark Patterson with respect, in love, who follow, who are absolutely wonderful people. And... You know who you are. I want to say thank you to you for that. So the first thing Paul talks about in this text is, is honour, honour, respect your leaders. That's the first thing he says. One of the characteristics of a healthy church is a church who honours and respects their leader. The second thing we see in this text, he talks around your behaviour toward each other. A church community, the word church is not about the building, it's about the people. And as a church, we need to be considering how we treat each other because we are the body of Christ. And let me say, super important, this only works if we are in community. And coming out of COVID, there's lots of Christians who are staying home and have dropped off church or whatever reason. Let me say, if you're here today and you don't normally come to church, you need to be in community. It's God's desire for you to be in community. I hear Christians say, I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church. Or, I like Jesus, but I'm not real wrapped in his people. Or, 
um, my, this is my personal faith in Jesus. Well, friends, that all might be true, but it doesn't work that way. Jesus died so you'd have your sin forgiven, that you'd be in relationship with God, but that you'd also be part of a community of believers. I share that message with you that Christ died so that he would bring us not only into relationship with God, but into relationship with each other. Jesus died so that we would be in a body, in a family. That's huge. In 1 Thessalonians 4.9, Jesus, the, 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 the scripture says to love one another, and it's, and it's the Greek word Philadelphia, which is around brotherly love, the love that you have for a brother or, a brother or sister in your family unit, your family, like your birth family. That's the sort of relationship we're to have with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, we can't have that with everyone, but we can have it with a few. And we can do that really, really well. You know, when uh, Jesus talks, um, Paul talks about the, um, the church, he talks of it like this in 1 Corinthians 12. He says, Just as a body, through though one, has many parts, but all its members... All, sorry, I'll start it again. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its members... Oh, I keep saying members, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. We, you and me, each one of us, those online, we are the body of Christ. The scripture goes on to say, some are the hands, some are the fingers, some are the, all the different ears, nose, but Jesus is the head, and Jesus is the one who directs the ship. But just like your hand is important to the body, and an ear is important, and a foot's important, we're all important, and we all have a part to play. Please don't think that you have no place here or you've got nothing to offer here. If you're in Christ, you are part of his body and you are majorly important. Growing up, I used to have um, ingrown toenails because I used to pick them with my fingernails. Is that oversharing, Nikki? <laughs> and my ingrown toenails, when I was a teenager, I used to go red and then they'd swell up and they'd get pussy. And then I have to go to the doctor. Where's this going? And then the doctor would stick a little pin in it and then squeeze the pus out. And then he'd get a, scal a scalpel because the skin had then grown over the fingernail and then cut back the skin. Ah, oh, this is gross. I'm sorry, everyone. And then I learned how to do it myself. So then I would, yes, I'd operate on my own toe. Now, when you have a built-in ingrown toenail, that little bit of nail pointing in the wrong direction, man, it creates so much pain in your toe and you can barely walk. And one, when one part of your body suffers, your whole body suffers, as the scripture says. And so when one part of the body of Christ, when one part of our family is struggling, we all struggle. When one part of the body is thriving, we celebrate. We're in this together. And Paul writes, ingrown toenails, that was not part of my notes, by the way. They just came into my head. This is what Paul writes about how we should treat our toenails and our, how we should treat each other. He writes, 
um, live in peace, verse 13, live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle. Now notice who he's talking to here. Brothers and sisters. He's not talking to the leader here. He's not talking to the pastor here. He's talking to the body. He's talking to you. Karen, it's you. Ethan, it's you. Charles, it's you. Colin, it's you. Kerry, Michael, it's you. Ellie, it's you. Christy, it's you. It's you, it's you, it's you. He says, and we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle. Now, that doesn't mean you walk up to any Christian, you don't know their name, and you say, you're idle, you're disruptive, are you disheartened? No, it's in relationship. It's your life group. It's the people that you, you are close with in this family called the church. You get alongside them and you love them and you warn those who aren't moving in their faith. When's the last time you went up to a Christian, who, a close Christian, someone who you know well, and say, man, what do you do when you walk with Jesus? When's the last time you did that? A Christian who needs to pull their head in. When's the last time you said, hey, dude, pull your head in? Because they're being disruptive. When's the last time you, I'm sure you would have done this one, one of your Christians who's struggling and they're, and they're disheartened and, and you encourage them. Everyone's like, yeah, I've done that one. But how about the first two? Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Man, we need patience for some people in our church, don't we? Make sure, not pointing at anyone, front row. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. It's fun about revenge. But always strive to do what is good for, do, do good for each other and for everyone else. Here's your attitude. Rejoice always, church family. Pray continually. Give thanks in all situations, all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. People say, what's, good? what's God's will for your life? Read this verse. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. That's God's will for your life. Come on. Do not quench the Spirit. So when God's moving by His Spirit, don't try and stop it. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. In other words, when you hear a prophetic word, don't just go, ah, prophetic word, not interested, thanks. But rather, test it. Is this word from God? Does it line with the Scriptures? Test them and hold on to the good bit. There might be a bit of them, a bit of something that's wrong, but there might be something in it that's exactly from God for you. Hold on to that. Reject every kind of evil. And then I'm jumping down to verse 25. We're going to come back to 23, 24 in a sec. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet. When's the last time you prayed for your brother or sister? Those in your life group, those you're most connected with, when's the last time you prayed for them? Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. That's a kiss on the cheek, everyone, not a smooch, yeah? Give him a kiss on the cheek. That might be cultural, but it's a picture of love. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. And the last verse, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. God's grace be with you. That section is all around how we treat other people. And you might think to yourself, man, that is a tough text so far. Honor my leaders. Man, my leader's a buffet. How am I supposed to honor him? Then I'm supposed to love my brothers or sisters in Christ. I need to be patient with them, and I need to warn them, and I need to love them. Man, that's so hard. God, how am I supposed to do that? And the third thing Paul writes is around God's work in you. Because those things are super hard, honoring your leaders when they get it wrong, honoring your leaders when they, when they hurt you, honoring your leaders when they don't do the thing that you think they should do. 
And it can be really hard loving your brothers and sisters in Christ when they let you down, when they hurt you. But the thing is, God works in you to help you to do that. Look at this scripture here from verse, uh, from verse 23. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. Sanctify means to be made holy. Where God works in us and changes us to be more and more like Jesus. May your whole spirit, soul, body, in other words, all of you, may all of you be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 24, the one who calls you, that is God, is faithful and he will do it. You might think respecting your leaders is hard, loving your brothers and sisters in Christ in hard, but God is the one by his spirit working in you, changing you, and giving you the ability to love and to honour. And we can believe that he will do it because he is faithful. And if we are open to him and we ask him to change us, he will do his work in us. So as we come to the end of this message, I invite the band to come. Um, Annabelle, wherever you are, come on down. We've looked at three things, three things of a healthy church. They're not the only three things, but here are three things. He talks around your attitude towards your leaders, your behavior toward each other, and he talks about God's work in us. As you come to the end of this message, I wonder which one of those things stands out to you the most. Which one of those things, you know, God, I, I, need, I need to honor my leader more or I need to love that person more. I need to be more patient with that person. I need to do this with this person. Well, maybe you're like going, God, I'm struggling. I need you to move in my life. And we know that he is, but your prayer might be, God, here I am. Change me, mold me, move me. You know, I'm going to give you 30 seconds to pray and reflect. And then we're going to sing. We're going to have a time of ministry. And then Pari's going to lead us in communion to finish. Take 30 seconds and pray. Come Holy Spirit, we pray. God, work in our lives, we pray. Show us the area of change that you want us to make in our lives. Come Holy Spirit. Take 30 seconds, pray, reflect on the Lord. Ask God to speak to you. In Jesus' name. Let's stand together. Let's worship those online. I encourage you to join us in this time of worship. The words are going to be at the bottom. Sing with us as Annabelle leads us. Thanks so much for checking out this message. LifeGate Church has people meeting in person and online in many different locations, and we'd love to help you get connected. 
My name's Andrew and I lead our online team here at LifeGate Church and it's our job to do exactly that. We'd love to help you find community, get support and prayer and take your next step. So why don't you connect with us and take your next step at lifegate.org.au and click the next step button.